Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of Double DM Podcast, where we talk about, as every week I forget what the topic of today's episode is, let me check real quick while I ask Niels, my co-host, how he's doing. Hi, uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing fine. I have one last appointment of a physics lab tomorrow and then I'm done for this semester. Yeah, which is super great because then I don't have to write a protocol or some sort of every week for roughly five to ten hours just over how we look through lenses <laughs> or we watched the pendulum swing and counted how long uh, how many times it took for a cup uh, for a set number of time or the other way around yay always fun important stuff important mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. very important yeah Yeah, it is very important. It is, but <laughs> still boring as fuck. And then you're done with the the semester? Yeah, I only have an oral exam, but that's in the last week of September or first week of October mm -hmm. or uh, regarding that physics uh, laboratory. And yeah, then I'm done with physics for my study overall. Forever. <laughs> forever. I can finally forget gravity and start flying. Sadly not forever because there is um, physical chemistry still with uh, <laughs> thermodynamics and fluid dynamics and shit. But yeah, the, the baseline physics is done. <laughs> hey. Yeah. But that's one thing I'm excited about. How about you? Uh, I am also excited to finally get more free time mm -hmm. uh, when this episode airs the friday of this week is gonna be my exam and after that i finally have more free time again and can use that to spend more time on ttrpgs because perfect perfect <clears throat> currently as is with these with this and next week and the last week a bit very much focused on these exams or on the exam i have to write because if i fail it that basically means i have to wait six months that basically means i have to wait like a full semester for and do nothing mm. Shit. So, yeah. yeah, just focusing on this exam, writing it, hopefully passing. You and got then this. Done. I believe in you. You got this. Yeah, probably. It's not a hard exam. At least it doesn't appear to be. Which can also mean that it's one of the more scarier exams mm. because, uh, well, uh, yeah, um, the stuff covered is easy. Mm -hmm. But that also means that when you understand the stuff and think you're prepared, they can really hit you with a hard hitting question that destroys and everything you thought you knew. Yeah, just from the blind side with something that you didn't yeah. prepare, maybe. Yeah, could happen. I've been told that this is kind of an exam where they make sure that basically everyone passes. So the exam is supposed to be very easy and even if a lot of people don't pass they're just gonna put some they're just gonna shift some stuff and make sure that you pass i'm just gonna have to write a few notes prepare myself do everything of the exercises i can and then just go in there confident enough that i can succeed and then i probably will succeed as with most things in life the confidence to do the thing is very important same with ptrpgs right when you're a gm what you need is the confidence to just say yeah, i am good enough at this i can gm my players are having fun so let's do the fucked up shit i have in mind exactly you just do it and it works every single time but still every time before you're thinking to yourself ah is this good mm, yeah, yeah confidence is the only thing but you build that confidence through the process beforehand which is where i'm currently at write down everything i know about the course right uh, make sure i have everything i need to know for the exam in line and then just learn it perfect then do a few exercises and when the exercises are done and i see yeah i can basically do everything that they're asking of me or that they should be asking of me i don't see a reason why i shouldn't at least pass i'm not aiming for a perfect grade because i mm. don't care because i don't need a perfect grade in this course it won't change anything about my final grade already mm -hmm. because i know my final grade already yeah all right yeah um we already talked about ttrpgs so nils anything happen in ttrpgs for you um yeah i had a session of my uh, of one of my campaigns this tuesday mm -hmm. which was um shifted and delayed and canceled for the better part of three months now <laughs> so yeah but i wrote a big recap from session one to session 20 or session 19 this was the 20th session so just to get everyone back on the same page again 
And yeah, it was basically just one big fight because we only had two and a half hours um, because some of us had to leave early for university on the next day. And mm -hmm. then playing until 2 a.m. isn't really a good idea if you have exams coming up um, in mm -hmm. the uh, next couple of days. So yeah, but my players, a group of five players, level six, just completely demolished a vampire with some special shit and two vampire spawns. Yeah, two got downed, but that it wasn't as close as I thought it would be. So I, now I know what I can do and what I can't do, I think, to give them a proper challenge if they want one. Okay. But yeah, it was it was a fun session mm -hmm. and um, some cocky banter in between actions and stabs. Mm -hmm. Fun stuff. And yeah, next session is just recovering from the wounds, getting some shopping done and customization and all of that stuff. That mm -hmm. should happen if nothing interferes, should happen next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about the real world having some interference in your session. I was th I was thinking when you said, you said that, except I as the GM have something fun prepared. Well, <laughs> I can't say too much because I, mean, I know for a fact Cool. Every week, one of my players is listening. You could say something. I could, but I won't. When is the session? Right after this um, recap comes out. And I know one of my players listens to these episodes on release. So I can't tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I meant either in-world or real-life mm -hmm. interferes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know which player is going to say, I want to make a perception check, <laughs> Yeah, just inside checking every fucking uh, uh, NPC that I just throw mm. at them. Even if, if it's just the NPC that they vibe-checked three times already in the last two sessions. Because I they just wanted the to players. buy a beer. I vibe-check uh, yeah. the other players. I don't trust any of them anymore. Yeah, and um, fun thing about that is one of my players has uh, contracted lycanthropy two sessions ago, but they just don't give a shit. And now <laughs> just don't they just shit. don't give a shit for uh, uh, two or three sessions. Nothing about that. They don't. They didn't care at all. So one of my players is just a lycanthrope now, I guess. Mm -hmm. The player wants to do something about it, but the party just doesn't care, <laughs> which is interesting <laughs> but let's see how the next session goes but yeah okay, okay. that's basically it for ttrpgs for me okay. nothing much currently because uh, my group is uh, two of my group are currently moving and they have a lot of shit to do so they uh, don't have that much time mm -hmm. so just yeah theoretically once a week which then life gets in the way especially exactly. in this in, in summertime i've noticed mm -hmm. right life always gets in the way because yeah. i totally understand that that ttrpgs as a hobby where you sit inside in front of a computer or in a room with your friends it's a great hobby but in summertime when you also can could go outside go to the beach or have or, or go on vacations right mm -hmm. you just don't have the time to do ttrpgs yeah. as much as you maybe do in the winter where there's not much stuff to do otherwise and also right as with both of our groups most of them are what uh, have an average age of 23 24 something along those lines yeah That's right. That right. That's the age where uh, you stop having free time. <laughs> um, you finished with school, finished with university. You have to work either a full time or a part time job. You have your own other things. You have you're probably living alone at this point, uh, or at least most people I know do at this point in time. And that also means housework needs to be done. You have to have responsibilities. Hmm, All of the stuff that stands in the way of TTRPGs. Yeah. There's a lot of shit going on that you need uh, that you need to do because that's something that you need to survive and live yeah. and have these spare moments of free time that but you have. I also need TTRPGs to survive. Yeah, but I think food is more important, right? I don't know. <laughs> um, Emil, please don't try it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... The food that your characters eat don't go into your system. Please don't try this to supplement food mm, with just TTRPGs. I mean, you could me. try to eat your player ca player's character sheets if you'd like to. Stop me. <laughs> <laughs> Try to stop me. Yeah, no, I've given that up. Trying to stop you from anything just doesn't mm -hmm. work. <laughs> Great friendship we have here. No, I, 
yeah. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> Except you're welcome. <laughs> what can I say? Except you're welcome. <laughs> no, we cannot be copyright struck by Disney, please. Um, personally, I also had a session on Tuesday, Tyranny mm -hmm. of Dragons. Players just exited the mindscape or dreamscape of one of the player characters, mm -hmm. now having the information on how his pact with the demon lord was made, because he forgot that information as part of his backstory. And now they have the information to break the pact because they need to know how the pact was made to break it. Now they just need to find a place where they can break it. And most of the times these places in, in my version of Faerun are places with and with very, very powerful magics attached to them. Mm -hmm. And the player character or the player, the player said, I want to be, uh, I want to stay a warlock, but stop with the fiend warlock and become a celestial warlock instead of one of the goddesses. Saloon, the goddess of the moon. And I was like, that fits perfectly. There's going to be some kind of big temple of Saloon where the magic is very strong, where you can basically break that bond. For that, since he put down the ring he got uh, from one of the archmages they know to protect him from basically all extra planar detection, so the demon couldn't contact him or detect him anymore. Mm -hmm. He put that down so he could commune with Saloon for the first time, or at least to try to commune with her. Well, that also meant that the demon knew where he was in that instance. And when they exited the dreamscape, the demon also knew what was up. Mm -hmm. So he sent demons after them to stop this from happening. If Obviously. it has to be, kill his own warlock. Mm -hmm. And he also sent another warlock, one of his strongest soldiers on earth, as he calls them, uh, to break that ring for good. To, to So he could never put it back on. So he okay. would always stay detectable. And she also, um, as she is as this warlock is a very, very, very unhinged person, they had a lot of cool tricks up their sleeve that made the party scream for their lives several times. Because she has, right. she, she has a scimitar that blinds you whenever she hits you. Oh, fuck. Okay. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. 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 Cool, 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 cool. Which makes it very fun with her because she can make three attacks per round. Oh, damn. Okay. Okay. Love that. Love that yeah but only two with that scimitar one with another scimitar but she can basically blind two people per round and then she can make a third attack which she then can maybe use one of her other cool features that she has on when she hits the target mm -hmm. so that was very mm -hmm. fun it, it, it made the group very scared for a few minutes uh, as we were taking as we were having combat and after that they stopped they went back to their place and basically packed everything for their journey mm -hmm. wherever that might go soon and yeah we were playing in two weeks again and I am excited to see how their journey goes. Understandably so. Can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, and I think that is basically everything for me. Same here. So we could oh, oh no, we should jump so we should jump into our episode on sandbox level gaming or sandbox TTRPG campaigns. Hey listener, how are you enjoying the show so far? Tell us about it in whatever way you see fit. Go to our social media pages and add us or DM us about your favorite episode of the show. We would love to hear from you on what impact our show might have had on your home games. Or you could review us on your podcast app of choice and leave us a nice message with a 5-star review. And if you want to go above and beyond, bring a friend into the fold. Tell them about our show and refer us to them so they can get a piece of the pie as well. Thank you for listening to Double DM and joining us on this incredible journey. All right. So, Emil, I was thinking a bit about sandbox games versus open world games and some uh, stuff like that. It pops into my head every now and then, and I play a lot of open world video games and ga video games that are marked as sandbox. Mm -hmm. And I was always curious on, or I never really could completely figure out where the, the necessarily the difference, but where the hard line between those two genres is. And as I nearly always do think about TTRPGs, I kind of projected it towards that a bit as well, on like 
like how I can make an open world sandbox game or how I can make it work and or if that's even possible. Okay. And that's something I want to talk to you a bit about today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, sandbox, open world, the difference between them and how you could achieve it. And that's the thing, right? First of all, let's talk about this, where this came from for you, right? You said mm -hmm. open world video games. And you said that video games described a sandbox. But I feel like in video games, at least, the terms are very distinct from each other. Mm -hmm. Because open world means you have a big map, you can go every direction, you can explore, you can find something in every direction. At least that's what open world means for me, right? Mm -hmm. Even if I have an open map, but can only go one direction, because that's the only direction I can do the thing I'm supposed to do, or that I can do stuff, can engage with something, it's not open world. It has, it, it, it's semi-open world. It has a delusion of the illusion of open world, mm -hmm. right? But I have an open map and I can go everywhere and I can engage with everything in some some way, right? Uh, and sandbox is something entirely different, obviously, right? We have open world games and Niels, name me a few open world video games. Uh, the Witcher 3, Skyrim, Fallout, mm -hmm. Divinity 2 could, uh, could be... It, it, yeah. In these acts, you have an open world where you could always, always go. Yeah. But I, it's I'm going to let it count. Track. I'm going to let it count. It's it's a semi yeah. thing. Yeah, but it's open world. You have, hmm? let's define open world as the possibility to go everywhere and engage with the locations at wherever you go in the way you want to. Yeah. It's a very open discussion, right? But yeah, with the map that you currently have available to you. Yeah. And what is a sandbox game? Because that is not sandbox. No. In my opinion. No. So, sandbox games, I would say, are something like Don't Starve or Minecraft, something mm -hmm. along those lines, where you can change the world and not necessarily have that big of a time pressure thing or mm -hmm. no coherent storyline necessarily. Mm -hmm. I feel like sandbox games for me are defined as freeform. Mm -hmm. oh, with that, uh, something like SimCity or City Skyline, something along those lines could also... Yeah, I would count yeah. those as that because uh, in The Witcher 3, in Divinity, in all the open world games, you named, you still have goals. Mm -hmm. You still have objectives to complete. You can complete these objectives most of the time whenever you want to or in the way you want to, which is the open factor of the world. But generally, you have an objective. Mm -hmm. You have a goal to achieve. In a sandbox game, there is no goal to achieve. Or there is a very relaxed approach to goals to achieve. Minecraft theoretically has an ending. Mm -hmm. But who has ever cared for the end credits of Minecraft? Yeah, Speedrunners probably. But the goal of normal Minecraft play is you're in this open world. There is no objective aside from be creative. Exactly. And I think that's really where sandbox games lie for me. Mm. Sandbox games, I play a sandbox game if I want to set my own goals. Do whatever mm. I want right now now and be creative an open world game doesn't necessarily give me the chance to be that creative mm -hmm. funnily enough the biggest gaming hype currently is zelda tears of the kingdom which is a game that is a very much open world game that has just taken the sandbox game approach of be creative with the fucking abilities you get and and we've all seen everyone has seen videos images reddit posts tweets whatever of weird contraptions people have built to commit war crimes on fucking enemies mm. in zelda now that is a sandbox open world game <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, in, in a lot of these uh, survival games, usually, these two parts overlap a lot. I, I don't think that's true, necessarily, because in survival games, the objective is surviving. Yeah, yeah, but you have, uh, in, in a lot of them, you have a different, or a, a lot of different tools to interact with the world, rather than just the people or NPCs there, but rather with the world itself. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, in Seven Days to Die, you, ha you have a Minecraft-ish approach to that. You can build and uh, fortify your position, mm -hmm. while still having an open world that you can explore and use everything in it. Mm -hmm. And I think this is these survival crafty types of games are not necessarily both genres at the same time, but the overlap of those two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just feel like the, that that we need to really separate the concept of an open world and the sandbox itself. Yeah. And for me, the sandbox is very much to the literate approach of a sandbox, of someone playing in a sandbox, mm -hmm. creating whatever they want with what they have. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. nothing more, nothing less. Mm-hmm. You give someone tools or materials, sand in the sandbox instance, and they do whatever they want. They are not limited by any arbitrary rules or very little rules. For example, don't take the sand out of the sandbox or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But they are not necessarily limited by what they want to do. And in an open world, they're very much limited by what game rules and the constraints of that world they're in says. Mm-hmm. Their movement and their approach might not be limited, but generally they still can only do the stuff they want to do in a certain gamified amount of ways. Mm-hmm. And how okay so we talked about video games and now we have these two distinctions right and you also right you've brought in survival as a third thing and i'm not saying that these things cannot be connected right zelda tears of the kingdom is the very much literal current example that you have an open world game that very much brings in sandbox elements of do whatever you want here are the tools do with this however you want to deal with it and also survival as you can die and have to forage and have to craft and have to do this and that blah 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 so yeah cool all done now we need to approach ttrpgs <laughs> yeah if we think we're done with the definitions right because you came from video games you said mm-hmm. and now i also come from video games oftentimes when it comes to ttrpgs i look at video games and say okay yeah this is the medium that i mostly interact with anyway so it's natural that my ttrpgs are very much influenced by video games and now looking at ttrpgs how can we what we just discussed what we just defined put into ttrpgs that's a problem from or one problem for me in that because i think in TTRPGs, the lines between those genres or types of games get a bit more blurry just because of the nature of TTRPGs. Because you mm-hmm. you have your game mechanics, yes, but however you may interpret them or how, how you flavor them or how you use them might differ from game to game, from table to table. And usually you have an open world always, as you can say, yeah, I want to go that way instead of that way. But how uh, what you do with your tools that you have, what which are basically the rules of your character, how you use them and how uh, in what way and and at what time is completely up to the player. And that's where the lines get a bit blurry for me. (laughs) Yeah, the lines are very heavily blurred, I feel, because I'm going to say it, people are way too obsessed with open worlds Mm -hmm. in video games. People are way too obsessed with open worlds everywhere yeah right you don't need a big expansive world where you can do anything you want and you set your mind to blah 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 for every game Mm -hmm. because it fucking sometimes just means that game developers who have to to deal with these demands have to fill the world with nothingness with nothing meaningful Mm -hmm. like i'm not saying that open worlds games are bad per se but i'm just saying that there's a little obsession with the genre games. And mm-hmm. I think the same goes for TTRPGs because every time we talk about world building and TTRPG play, right, there's, and I'm just as much the same, TTRPGs are about agency. Players are supposed to do whatever the fuck they want. They are in control of their character. There is no arbit- there is only the rules of the games we play as arbitrary rules they have to abide by. Mm-hmm. And other than that, they are free. So every TTRPG is an open world, yeah. at least on paper. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that that's true when you actually look at how games are played. Yeah, and I, I think uh, this is a good point because usually at the start of a campaign, it is more open world-ish than at the end, just because of the nature of how the um, characters develop, or at least in my campaigns it was. Uh, Interesting it, it is thought. Like that because in the beginning, you spray plot hooks everywhere and see what sticks, usually, mm-hmm. or at least I do. Then they pick a direction and it gets narrower and narrower and narrower every, uh, every time because they focus on that specific plotline. Yeah, but it's not because you make it narrower, narrower, narrower. Exactly. It's because, right, they do that. And that's the same for open world video games, more or less. Exactly. The, the players themselves make it less open worldy only through their own decisions. They follow that line through. They still have the ability to do other things. Uh, in my experience, they usually don't. They see one thing through. But with that, we have to talk about something very important. You as the GM basically fill in the gaps that a video game engine does. Mm-hmm. And now this can be misinterpreted in a lot of ways. I already hear people saying, what the fuck does that mean? Does that mean this and this and this and this? The thing is, for, for me, a video game presents you with quests and the players, the player decides 
when to do them or if to do them, mm. right? Yeah. In a TTRPG, that doesn't necessarily work that well anymore. You can't present your player with a thousand quests. Oh, well, you can. But as soon as they take one, do the rest of them just wait for the PCs to come? Exactly. Because I think that's where TTRPGs differ from video games. Because mm -hmm. you as the GM have the literal capabilities to make, to, to fill the gaps that a game engine, for example, can't. Mm -hmm. Or that a game's... Com that the game's processing can't because the game says I have presented the quest and now I have to wait for input mm -hmm. and the game engine cannot deal with no input yeah it, it It theoretically could, but it doesn't because it would destroy the gaming experience if all your side quests literally delete themselves because you chose one of them. Yeah. That would, for gaming, that would be a bad experience for most people, I assume. Mm -hmm. It could be fun. Obviously, when a quest has a timer on it, then it's okay, completely okay that this quest is lost. But normally, people just don't assume quests get lost. Mm -hmm. In TTRPGs, however, I explicitly assume that when I choose a direction, that all other directions directions might not necessarily be closed off, but changed on the fact that I chose one of the directions, which is not the one that I'm currently looking at. Mm -hmm. I assume that every direction changes based on the direction I chose. And I mean, not only the one I chose, but every other direction does something else as well. The problem gets worse. It gets solved. It escalates, it de-escalates, it stays the same, could also be, but it stays the same, very much defeats the open-worldness we want from TTRPGs. And I think that's interesting, mm -hmm. because the open-worldness we want from TTRPGs is a different one that we want from video games mm -hmm. at least personally and i think what i've heard in discussions about this from others and i think even a lot of people might agree with me here when i want an open world video game i want a game that lets me choose in what order i do the things this world needs me to do mm -hmm. and i can do them at locations at different locations i can go wherever i want in a ttrpg i want just want to have the choice between the quests exactly not that i can do every quest at in In the, in, in the order I want. I don't want to choose the order. I want to have to make the choice. Because in a video game, the agency is not that elevated. It's still there. I get to do whatever I want at the time I want to do it. But it clearly falls flat since for the game, for the literal game mathematics behind it, since the quest doesn't get deleted or changed, mm -hmm. depending on what I did in the other quest before, as in I chose the quest, I let this problem escalate, now it's a hard a problem for me hmm. the game doesn't register that and i also don't want it to necessarily in a mm -hmm. ttrpg i want those choices to matter and that's the way you show me that those choices matter exactly and i feel like there, there are a lot of uh, choices matter video games like the telltale series from the walking dead or something along those lines and i think these are kind of what a ttrpg is at its core making choices and the choices you make impacting mm -hmm. the story to come while still being able to choose whatever the fuck you want kind of because whatever you choose impacts the options that you might choose from in the future and i think this is where mm -hmm. the lines between open world and sandbox kind of uh combine because as you interact with the uh, open world with the things that your gm presented to you mm -hmm. you uh, redefine the world a bit mm -hmm. and shape it into a way that you might ne not necessarily want but what you still did anyways because it might had repercussions that you didn't even think about before just because you chose something completely changes the flow of time the plot line that you are working changes the other plot lines around it that just are there mm. or where possibilities once before which might not be right now but depending on how you choose later they might become available again because it's mm. an ever flowing and ever changing system because mm. you have a completely inter uh, interlocked world basically that reacts to the things that you do mm. and, and that's at the core something for me that defines a sandbox game that the world reacts to the things that i do to it not necessarily that i shape it perfectly in the way that i want it but with the tools that i ha have at my uh, disposal how the world interacts with 
the way I use these tools. And I think TTRPGs are amazing for that because mm. you have uh, multiple different people using similar tools, but to completely different effect only because of the way they try to interact with it, how they use them, when they use them, and for what. And because you have uh, in a standard table of four players and one GM, you have five different people inputting things into the mm. world. Therefore, you don't necessarily know how your actions are affecting the world because it's not your own, uh, not only your actions that are affecting the world. And I, I think if you have that, and then using the open worldness to explore the consequences of your own actions and the nuanced details between everything, makes mm. every TTRPG campaign unique, even if you play the same questline, you could say, mm. because the approach will always be different, even if you have the same players, the same characters, and the same abilities and the same quests basically everything will still mm. be different just because of the way you approach them mm -hmm. and i think that this is why ttrpgs lend themselves way easier towards playing a sandbox type of game anyways or getting sandbox elements in it now i want to interject mm -hmm. because you said sandbox elements not open world elements mm -hmm. do you mean sandbox elements or do you mean open world elements because i think in ttrpgs the terms are very much used interchangeable but i don't think that that's good for the medium yeah and that's why i wanted to do this that's why when i when you when you said that we want to do this episode i was like okay cool but i'm gonna be very pedantic about it yeah perfect and th that's something that uh, i said in the beginning where i struggle with to really define in ttrpgs or in my campaigns yeah. where the distinction ends and where it doesn't because yeah. in ttrpgs just by the nature of it they blur a lot yeah because right open world means let's say it like this for me an open world game means that i still present problems i still present things i still present a lot of stuff to my players they just get to choose mm -hmm. that's important in a sandbox game coming from video games where a sandbox game is supposed to be way more focused on creativity and not on actual goals and achieving goals or objectives what is that to do in ttrpgs because whenever i hear someone say i have a sandbox DD game i think to myself wait so what do i do in your game and now right this is the thing people will explain to you stuff and i'm not here to bash sandbox gaming because while it might not be necessarily the type for me to game the gaming of sandbox still has a lot of charm to it i just think that the word sandbox being used for it just feels wrong mm -hmm. i would much more prefer when we say open world because right, a lot of people say, I throw my players into an open world and then let them just do whatever they want. That is not sandbox. Because in my opinion, a sandbox game like Minecraft should have nothing attached to it. And you should be able to mold everything around you as well. Mm -hmm. That element, is that part of it? I don't think for most games that call themselves sandbox games, it's part that the players can theoretically play God mm -hmm. and just decide whatever happens because they make everything. At least I don't imagine it that way because I don't think yeah. that, that would be fun. And then especially in most traditional games like D&D and Pathfinder, that sandbox approach that focuses purely on the creativity and low stakes, no objectives, just doesn't lend itself very well to what these games are about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? that's true. Maybe a, a solo TTRPG could lend itself really fucking well to sandbox gaming because you literally control everything. Yeah, or um, the uh, Wonder Home that we played is something that feels very sandboxy yeah. because you ch shape the world yourself just by the way that you explain things. So with that, with me saying solo games and you saying Wonder Home, we played Wonder Home without a GM. Mm -hmm. But you could play Wonder Home with a GM, by the way. But does it mean that the sandbox game just doesn't have a GM? So that we do not have someone in an elevated position making decisions for the world. Because for me, what a sandbox game most of the time entails is a generated world that then doesn't change anymore. Mm -hmm. It's been generated and it's set in stone until you change it as the engaging party. So a sandbox game all the games that are GMless, because then the creative power lies with the entire table in the same amount for everyone. There's no elevated position of someone that decides stuff mm -hmm. for the game. 
And I think that is what sandbox gaming is. I am completely fine if someone would disagrees with disagrees with me and talks about sandbox gaming in a different way. That's this is just what I would I would define sandbox gaming. And it's just a term. There's nothing wrong with having a game because what sandbox gaming normally means, right, is having a world and throwing your players into it without any predetermined plot ideas, without any predetermined things, and just seeing where everything goes. Mm. The players are in full control is something I've heard before. And I want to say, I don't think they are because you're still the GM. As much as you want to give power away and say my players do get to make every decision, they also get to do that in my, my games. But I wouldn't call myself a sandbox game like you do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and again, I'm really not here to insult anyone that likes sandbox gaming because I think I could enjoy it. I just think that the term just doesn't fit what we want to do in TTRPGs. Yeah, yeah. And that is in, and, and, and again, I'm here in TTRPGs to have in meaningful choices, meaningful interactions, meaningful points where I make a decision as a player or as a character rather that influence something. Hmm. But for that, there needs to be a trigger. And that trigger can be the absence of anything really. Like for example, in Minecraft, there is no necessary trigger of you need to do, you need to build a house. Now build a house. It's a, I just do it because I want to. Mm -hmm. So that works. But I just think that the choices become more meaningful when I get prompted to make them. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And I assume that most sandbox games do that. They're just, their starting point is a lot different from what, let's say, normal TTRPG play, even though I don't want to say normal TTRPG play is, which is players get instantly prompted with at least one quest to set them off to do something and then it just develops from there right Mm -hmm. and in a sandbox game as far as i know the players just can roam around until they find something they want to make a quest for themselves yeah it's just the beginning feels different Mm -hmm. no but i think if we um i agree with you on that but if we take that definition or a what we think of what sandbox games should be. I think you should ask yourself then what type of game you want to play and choose the system accordingly. Because then with that, not every system necessarily lends itself perfectly or well to the things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Just because of the nature of the game. For example, in D&D, I feel like I struggle way more with making something a sandbox mm-hmm. just because of the things that my players can do. Because they're more limited. Because the abilities that their characters get are pretty well defined in comparison to something else. Like, for example, in Masks, the abilities are more of a umbrella term and you can interpret how you want to make yeah. them feel. There's more creative power to the player, right? Exactly. And depending on what type of game you want to have, choosing the uh, system that fits that style better or best is a good place to start if you want to create a sandbox game. So do we talk about creativity? Because right, in, as you said, uh, in PBTA games, the um, abilities and skills and whatever you want to call it, moves specifically, they are way more creatively handled than a fighter's action search in D&D because that states specifically what you get to do in the rules. So those games are more creative. At least I think so. And I'm not saying that the people that are playing the games are not cre- that, that are playing games like D&D are not creative. I'm just saying that the games of Powered by the Apocalypse, those games themselves are more creative games because Mm -hmm. they prompt you to be creative. Yeah. Coming back to that, I want to be prompted something so I can engage with something. I think this is exactly why, for example, my games are not sandbox. My players have explicitly told me, I want you to basic, I don't want you to necessarily give me an entire path from start to finish, but I want you to explicitly give me something I can do. Mm-hmm. And now that is not necessarily saying that I'm saying them, okay, you need to infiltrate this castle to get the information that you want. But I'm saying to my players, the information you want is in that castle. Mm-hmm. Now, we can discuss if that is... If, if that is too much prompting, not enough prompting, or just the right amount of prompting, because, well, that is something you have to find out for yourself. 
Exactly. With your group, right? It's, it's not something that we can discuss. I cannot tell you that how much information you should give your party and how much direction you should give your party so they can play the game how they want to play it or how they want to engage with it because everyone is different as Niels and I have said so many times before. But in this discussion about openness, sandbox gaming, creative gaming, you as a dungeon master, you as a game master have one thing to do. Figure out where that point lies of how much information, prompts, things to do you need to give to give your players the room to engage the way they want to, mm. but enough prompts so they can engage in any way whatsoever at, at first, yeah. right? Yeah. If I would have put my players into a village without a problem to solve for them at the beginning of my game, I know they would have just sat there for three hours not knowing what to do mm -hmm. because they would have waited for something to happen. They would have waited for a prompt to happen because they expect a prompt. Even though I told them in session zero, this game is going to be a lot more sandboxy going to be a lot more open. And now that that's the thing. Openness and sandboxy does not mean boring. Yeah. And it does not mean nothing happens. I think it just means that the players have way more creative agency mm -hmm. to differentiate between the agency because I can give my players a specific thing to do. An NPC that asks them something and they get to decide the fate of whatever this NPC has asked them. Mm -hmm. That is a very direct prompt. But in the sandbox game, the players just have more creative agency. And I mean, maybe, for example, you're a GM that says to your players in session one, okay, where do we start? Do we want to stay in the, start in the forest, in the desert, in the tundra, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's exactly where it lies. How much do your players want to decide and have agency over? Mm -hmm. Because not everyone is the same. I want to have meaningful choices. So if you let me have those meaningful choices... I am completely okay with everything else. Mm -hmm. And I think if you have talked to your players, as you always should do, and they said they want, or the more they want creative power or more clearly choose what they want to do, build things themselves, mm -hmm. the more you as a GM, if you play a more sandboxy game, the more you get pushed into a, or get placed into a more reactive role rather than you having uh, options that you can still use proactively. Because the more they want to form the world themselves, the more you have to react how the world responds to the things that they do. Mm -hmm. And like with the start that you just mentioned, with asking them where they want to start, you have to react to their prompts. Basically, mm -hmm. they prompt you as a GM and you have to react to that. That's an interesting thought, at least the active and reactive GMing part. Because I personally believe you as a GM um, have to play an active role as part of the game. I like to play an active role, not too active, but I will do stuff. My world moves. My world works. So stuff is happening at all times, at any time, right? And maybe this is the difference between a sandbox game and my games. My game constantly does something. If my players ever sit still and not do something for an extended amount of time, obviously, there's stuff gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And that can be related to the thing they're currently doing or not. I'm just there to say my world is ever moving. And it's your guys' part to react to a moving world. Mm -hmm. And it's the, my part then again to react to basically the people in my world that are anomalies in the system, hmm. which are player characters, to react. I think of players kind of, at least, as part of the world, but as we said before, special parts of the world. Mm -hmm. My players could be considered anomalies for the world. If my world would have been the actual matrix, my players are anomalies in the code. Yeah. Things the matrix doesn't want. My matrix works without these anomalies as well. And it would work the same way. The players are the ones that just can affect that matrix through their actions. Mm -hmm. And I think th that's the thing. That's the active part I have as a GM. And the reactive part is then having that moving world be reactive to what mm -hmm. these anomalies that I do not control. And I yeah. think, again, that's, again, a point that you have to find for yourself. How active do you want to be? Because I have found the point of activeness for me. I have found the way that I want to be active as a GM. My world constantly does something. I have written down for every session, I have stuff that happens. Hmm. And I'm not saying I have I have written scripts of 
of timelines and stuff like that. I just have random events written down that happen. If the players are currently in a place where they could experience that activeness, then it's going to be active to them and they realize it. If not, hey, that becomes a mystery. Something changed and the players don't know why. Hmm. Or they just don't recognize it. But right, the, the, the things that they don't recognize, I also don't have to focus on as a GM because I am still there to provide a service to the people playing. I don't need to think about what happens on the other end of the world if it's yeah. not going to be influencing this part of the world we're in. But I think for sandbox games, since my world has been built, I have a vision of Min, of my world, of my fantasy world. And I'm going to place my players into it. And sure, there are certain things that can be changed to fit the certain theme and vibes I have for that campaign. But generally, Min is set in stone. Mm. This might sound weird, but if you want to make a play like this, you have to be actively reactive, if that makes any sense. Yeah. You have to actively think about the ways you can react to the things your players prompt you with. That's some something that you have to play with. How active or how ready you should be, how much you should prepare, how much you shouldn't prepare, what you should do and what not. This is, these are things that you have to figure out for every table again and again and again, or even for the same table or, or, of people for every session that you want or for every game that you want to play, for every campaign that you have to do. These are things that you, or in general, nearly everything in TTRPGs, I learned through trial and error. And yeah, the basic... As everyone does, right? Yeah. And I mean, the basic rules, you got that. That's not that's not the problem that, or that's not the thing that you have to do trial and error with. But what you should do um, trial and error with is how you want your games to feel as a table. And this is something that you have to try out. You can't force anything that you think might work on a complete table. If mm -hmm. you're playing a solo game, sure, you already do what you want because you do what feels best to you. But if you have other people there that you want to have an amazing experience with, you have to try stuff out, talk about it if that worked, and then get the feedback that you want. And therefore then shaping the way you play to fit the play style or the, the idea of the table that you wanted to have after a couple of sessions. It takes some time. Keep that in mind. It's no change from uh, it doesn't change overnight. It's a process. Try different things out, get the feedback and see if it works or it, if it doesn't and then change it accordingly. Being actively reactive to the things your players want or prompt you to want uh, that they want or actively say hey could we try something like this or i would like to have something on these lines in this game and then try that out then finding the perfect balance for this campaign what works how sandboxy how open world how railroady whatever it is however you want to play this game you have to find it out through a couple mm -hmm. of sessions it takes time don't necessarily rush it yeah take all the time that you need like we said in multiple episodes but as you said right i would just not think about too much when you start playing looking at this podcast right one thing that i've been thinking about a lot with double d with having released 125 episodes or so of podcasting discussions about GMing. If you listen to every single episode we did before ever GMing your first game, let this be a warning. <laughs> Don't listen to us. <laughs> because yeah. these discussions might be helpful. Solving specific problems, overcoming the fear of GMing, whatever. But there is so much information, so much contradicting info we probably also put out so far. Just make something simple. Simplicity is going to be your friend in the beginning. And no matter how I represented sandbox games here, and even if I misrepresented them to some people that only do sandbox games and they are now furiously writing Twitter and Reddit posts about how wrong we did this episode. To those people, do you really think that beginners should do sandbox games? Because as far as I know, from everything I've heard, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like from what I've heard, sandbox games sound at the same time very simple, but also very complex to do. So like weirdly, a lot of things in TTRPGs because it's TTRPGs. No, are no, no, TTRPGs normally are very simple, but you can make them complex. Exactly. But I think it's the exact other way around with sandbox games. They sound so simple. Just mm. don't do anything. Do yeah. you know how hard that is? Yeah, yeah. Not doing anything is a lot harder than it sounds, mm. at least for me. And I think a lot of other people as well. It doesn't mean that, right? The thing is, the advice is not you should control everything. But as, as a especially beginner GM, have more things than you need, right? The advice about sandbox games I hear a lot is, right, the game is about being really reactive to your players, not having too much set in stone for yourself so you don't drive yourself into a corner when your players want to do something else. 
Mm. That is good advice, period. Even though I might not like sandbox games or haven't tried as many, that advice alone is good. However, what I still think is better is you're your own person. No one can tell you what to do. Not Niels, mm. not me, not anyone else. We are just here to talk about the advice that we learned from experience and from discussions and whatever else. But what you can do is always think what is best for you. And mm -hmm. now the thing is, the advice that I can give you to find what's best for you is, well, do more prep, mm -hmm. for example. Do more prep. Even if you write too many NPCs and now have to throw like three of them into the garbage bin. Undershooting that, if you have not enough NPCs suddenly, is going to be a bigger problem at first. Yeah, just because if we, for example, after a couple of years of jamming, undershoot our uh, NPC creation process and have too little NPCs prepped, because we have so many NPCs created over the course of our career, you could say, we have an easier time creating one on the fly because we have gathered the experience. And if you start out, just do what feels best because you will gain the experience over time. You will learn yourself what works and how you create NPCs for you. Because mm. I see all these guides on the internet how you can create NPCs, how you can create backstories. And it's all good advice sometimes, but it might necessarily work for you because that's something that you have to figure out yourself. Yeah. So my advice for new people in this hobby is don't listen to anyone and go do the things. Can I modify that advice? Sure. Listen to everyone, but take no shit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm going to be very honest. I have a very big interest in you being interested in what other people have to say about TTRPGs because that is how we get listeners and fans. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I like it when people listen to our podcast. Yeah, sure. But, but the message is still, the podcast has started because Niels and I wanted to get better. And these discussions helped us. And we hope that these discussions can help you. Not by giving you concrete formulas for everything. I can give you concrete formulas for everything. And, I, and we do sometimes. But the advice is always, figure out what fucking works for you. Exactly. I might figure have... out how active you want to be. Figure out how reactive you want to be. To be figure out how much prep you need and the important part is figure out how much prep you need for the specific table you have because that differs a lot as well but mm -hmm. first of all focus on yourself make what you want to make be happy with what you're creating but create start yep. jamming if you want to start sandbox start sandbox if you want to start streamlined start streamlined if you want to start open world start open world yeah th that's but just be genuine with what you do yeah and make up your own mind soak up as much information as you can and do your own thing with it and make your own thing with it because no one can factor in you as a person into the equation except you exactly what works for me might not work for you or it might be the exact thing that works for you but coming back to sandbox <laughs> <laughs> i think we've talked about it enough it's just about figuring out how open you want things to be figuring out how open as a group in session zero talk about openness in quests talk about the openness of the world figure out what scope what scope you as a group want because this is important because if there's a scope mismatch and you as a GM are way too narrow and your players always want to burst the boundaries that you've set, mm. it's gonna feel weird. If you set the boundaries too open and your players are looking for literal boundaries so they can align themselves and walk into a direction, that's also bad and no one is gonna have fun. TTRPGs are a game of prompting and basically it's a table tennis game of prompts being yeah. thrown around across the table. And even in a sandbox game, you need these prompts. There might just be a different way of handling them. Exactly. And you need to figure out the way you want to handle the prompts that be, are being thrown around. The core energy of TTRPGs of these prompts being thrown around and everyone being able to bring themselves in will always be there. And you cannot change that no matter where you play. Exactly. And with that, anything else that you want to share? I have nothing anymore. Me neither. So with that, thank you all for listening and hear you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Double DM. It appears you liked this one. What we had to say and our advice helped you. Why not show us how we helped you in a rating? Or even write a review detailing us how we helped. You can do this on the platform that you are listening on right now. It's just a few clicks, doesn't take long and helps us out. It gets us out there and our advice into more ears of more people. Thanks again for listening and joining us on this amazing journey. Have a great day and see you on the next one. Bye bye.